Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hi again, folks, and welcome to this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, I'm your host. My name is John Russin, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. Hey, Frank, it's good to see you again today. Oh, my friend, I feel like it's been a long time. It's great to hear your voice. Yes, sir. Now, friends, if you've been following us for the past series of episodes on our podcast, you've noticed that we've done something called the power of story, where we took deeper looks into the walks and lives of believers and unpacked how they came to know Jesus as Lord, Savior, and most importantly, as life. And then we began uh, a series of four episodes that we entitled Liberating the Church with His Life, which was a very concise discussion of about 10 years of, of uh, the God working through Frank and through me to bring the message of Christ's life to a body that didn't know it. But today, we're going to do something a little different. different. In this series of episodes, we're going to focus on a brand new book that Pastor Frank uh, has written. It will be released soon, so watch for it. And so we want to take several weeks now to give our listeners a preview glimpse into its content. Now, Frank, the title is amazing. It's called Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Walk of Pain. How on earth did you come up with that title? The working title for me was how long will it hurt? Uh, you know, it's a question I've asked in my own life, and it's a question people have been asking in my office for 30, 40 years. And so the subtitle was there the whole time, The Lonely Path of Pain. You know, I have a very dear bride. Uh, she gets me better than anybody else on the planet. Uh, but when it comes to my pain, she doesn't get it. And I, I don't get hers. Uh, I try to, she tries to, but I've come to understand that when we go through pain, it's almost like going through a turnstile. Nobody else goes through it with us. Even if somebody else went through the same kind of thing 10 years ago, they don't know what we're going through in that moment. And we don't get to bring any baggage through a turnstile. It's just us. And uh, that can be really lonely, even though we know God. I think of Asaph in Psalm 73, and this is what he said, who do I have in heaven but you, O God? And who on earth do I have but you, O God? And I think, John, that's, that's it. Is uh, It's a lonely place. But when I sent it to my editor, she didn't like how long will it hurt. And I love her to death, John, but I don't like her. <laughs> she tears my writing apart <laughs> but I love her because she's right and she she told me I somebody had snapped a picture for me and that's a whole nother story but as soon as I saw the picture I said that's the cover I sent her the picture 
And she said, how in love are you with this picture? And I said, Jenny, it's got to be the cover. She said, good. I'm in love with it too. But that means your title has to change. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) The picture is of a dear friend of ours who's got cancer. He's alone in the mountains. It's a gray, cloudy day. And you can see his footprint. And he's just alone. And she looked at that picture and said, the title of this book has to be Finding God in the Gray. Because, John, you've been through pain. I've been through pain. Our listeners have been through pain. When you have pain, uh, you don't look at the world with all the bright colors anymore. Pain has a way of making your world very, very gray. Indeed, it does. Now, Frank, being because I'm the kind of guy I am, I did a, an Amazon search for books that deal with emotional pain. And brother, I found plenty. So I want to begin by asking you, what's different about yours? What qualifies you to address this topic in such a unique way? Talk to us about your your pastoring and your counseling experience. Well, John, I I share in the book just a little bit of my story because I didn't want the book to be about me. But I share enough to let people know, you know, been through my fair share of stuff. And so I've got personal experience. I've got 40 years of counseling experience. And, you know, recently a a young lady called me up and her counseling wasn't going well. She'd been through some trauma. And I said, can I ask you a question? Why isn't your counseling working? And she said to me, I feel like they're trying to fix me. And John, I think that's it right there. I think that people have really good motives. They love hurting people. They want to help hurting people, but they can't fix them. And I don't even see in scripture where God promises to fix any of us. If he changed our past, it wouldn't be our story. So what I do find God offering to do is meet us where we are with all that he is and provide what we need to get through what we're finding it hard to get over. And in that process, he'll write a different ending for us, but not a different story, just a different ending. So that's basically the thesis of this book. Uh, We're not trying to fix anybody. We're not trying to explain away pain. We're trying to be very honest. But we're telling people the goal here is to lead them to find God in a way they never knew him before, because he will get them through uh, what they feel like they can't get over. Oh, wow. As you're talking, my friend, my mind goes to Galatians chapter one of the Apostle Paul. And what an absolutely horrific past he had. He was a murderer. But God didn't take all that and throw it away. Instead, he didn't look at it as his baggage. He looked at it as as a hope chest of treasures that God could now craft into the life that he wanted to express through Paul. So I'm really happy to hear you say that because I'm sure it is a book like no other. So how did it begin? I mean, when I start writing, I usually get a thought from the Holy Spirit. And it could be just one word, one phrase, one idea that mushrooms into an article. So how did your book begin? 
Well, John, it was is really interesting. We have a friend, Janet and I, and she was having some struggle. She called us up. We met with her, and I got to share a lot with her, and Janet got to share a lot, and, and she turned around in her struggle. And then I started writing a letter to her, and the letter was going to have to be a book, but I, it just got too long. But I kind of just set it aside. And then my bride, who knows more of my story than anybody, um, came home, she had gone shopping and she said, very proud of herself, she said, I got you a present. And I said, oh, that's exciting, what'd you get me? And she said, a plaque. And uh -oh. John- <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> yeah. Jesus loves you plaque, right? <laughs> yeah, you know me too well. I cannot stand Christian cliche and Christian jargon. I can't stand when we quote wonderful truth and do it in a glib way. So she saw my face apparently, and she said, wait, wait, you got to hear the story. So the cliff note version is she was at a craft shop. She went into this lady's booth and there it was. And she said to herself, oh Lord, that's Frank's testimony. I have to buy that. So she went to the woman and she said, where did this come from? And the lady said, I made it. And Janet said, from a mold or something? And she said, no, not at all. It's original with me. And she said, oh, my goodness, tell me the story. And she says, well, I was working at my clay and I had this thought came in my mind. I wrote it down right away and I looked at it and I thought, wow, that's a nice little phrase. I think I'll make a plaque. So Janet said, well, ma'am, I want you to know you just told my husband's story. You made this for him. And the woman said, so you know what it means? And Janet said, you don't know what it means? Ma'am, aren't you a Christian? And the woman said, no, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God at all. And Janet said, well, God just used you in spite of your unbelief and told her some of the story. So by this time, the tears were streaming down Janet's face and she reached in the bag and she pulled it out and there it was, John, and it just stunned me. The phrase says, grace sat down with me until I could walk again. Wow. And throughout the years, that is what God has done for me. I've had a lot of stuff happen. And when I've been knocked down, he sat with me until I could get up. And um, the Holy Spirit just kind of whispered and said, this is your next book. So we started writing. <laughs> uh, and it's a, it was a horrible journey to write this book. Uh, nine months. And it was just brutal because it kept stirring up a lot of stuff in me. Uh, so it was hard to write. I think it'll be hard to read. <laughs> well, yes, I've, I've read through several versions. And while the versions are getting better as the editor works her magic, the focus is getting sharper. And so it, it kind of peels back the onions. And here's, here's one thing right from the very beginning, my friend, that grabbed me in a way that no book has grabbed me. This comes just from your dedication. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing now. Your words are, we're not designed to live in a world of constant pain. We're created to live in a garden. 
but God can reveal a way through the pain. And this is the part that got me so that our pain doesn't have to have the last word in our lives. Now, you and I both know that for many people, it does have the last word, but it doesn't have to. Why do you say that? Oh, one in my own life, John, I, oh gosh, it's, uh, it's not hard to admit this. It's sad, maybe. But, you know, I, I've had thoughts of taking my life. I had went so far as to have a plan. I went so far as to almost fulfill the plan and then cried out to God and said, do you see me? Because I'm going to give you a choice, God. You can either heal me, kill me, or I'm going to help you kill me because I cannot live like this. And so, you know, that's pretty much saying pain is having the last word. But now he answered that prayer. John, I know God in a way, a lot of people will never know him. And it didn't have the last word in my life. And hope and love and joy and peace are now having the last word in my life. And this isn't just my experience. This is the experience of a lot of people, hurting people who've come through my office doors over the years. And, and I think it's in chapter nine, we tell a little lady named Susie's story. And John, she, she came in after 18 months and said, Frank Friedman, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> and I said, well, that's great. How come? And she said, because I know God in a way you'll never know it. And that's really the goal in this book, John, for everybody who reads it because of the uniqueness of their circumstances, the uniqueness of their person, each of them will come away saying, I know God in a way nobody else ever knew it. He'll make himself that real to them. And that's the goal of the book. And as you and I have talked many times, Frank, would to God that this were the theme of the church at large, that their focus would be on the church being a hospital where hurting people can come and meet the great physician and receive the healing he has for them. Instead, we tend to look at our churches as mini seminaries. Now, don't get me wrong. Teaching about God and teaching through scripture are so important. Mm -hmm. But if they don't bring us back to the person and work of Jesus, not only on the cross for our sin, but in our own lives for our personal deliverance and freedom, we're kind of missing a part of the boat, aren't we? Oh, John, it's powerful words that you, you just said. You know, I just put a blog up on a lot of social media sites that there's two Greek words for knowledge. And one is oida, which is the facts. And that's the Greek word, largely. It's the Western culture word. Learning is getting something into your mind and spitting it out on a test, and that's called knowledge. But the Eastern concept is very different. It's really more the knowledge of experience, and that's the word used in the New Testament. Paul didn't say, I wanna know about 
Jesus. I don't want to know the facts of the death, burial, and resurrection. I want to experience the one who laid down his life. I want to experience the one who rose from the dead. I want to experience this one who did that because he loves me and he wanted me. Now, that's a whole different ballgame. Right. It certainly is. And uh, being a university guy like I am, we structured our courses in the sciences to include the lab, which is just what you described, where the rubber of the lecture meets the road of everyday life. And my friend, you mentioned mentioned a passage there in chapter one, and you're referencing Luke chapter four, where Jesus visits a synagogue and he's invited as an itinerant teacher to stand up and read. And he flips through the scroll. If you can flip, I guess that's not the right picture. He didn't flip through the scroll. He rolled through the scroll. (laughs) He came to Isaiah 61. And this is what he read from Isaiah 61 verses one through three. And I'm reading from Isaiah, not from Luke now. And it says, I'm come to preach good tidings to the meek. And this is the part that gets me bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives. Open the prisons of the bound. Comfort all, underlined, all who mourn. Because I'll give them beauty for ashes, and I'll give them the oil of joy for their mourning. I'll give them a garment of praise for their spirit of heaviness, so that they might become trees of righteousness. Not just seedlings or shoots or sprout, but but grown-up, mature, fruitful trees. You know, this is a picture of why Jesus came that we just don't hear very much, do we, Frank? Oh, John, I tell you, you I hope I don't cry through this, but it's just been stunning me. That's ever all right. Since Go I, right ahead, my friend. <laughs> ever since I saw it, um, you know, the, the context has to be seen to really, I think, appreciate the weight of this. You know, Jesus lives 30 years in obscurity. Uh, then it's time. You know, God always worked in the fullness of time. So Jesus goes to be baptized. At the baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon him to empower him for ministry. At age 30, which is the same age a high priest became a high priest, Jesus now begins public ministry. It is on. First thing he does is goes into the desert to tell the enemy, your head's about to be crushed, buddy. You've lost. He comes back into civilization, as you said, sits down, read the scrolls. And John, I think what's so stunning is what he didn't read. He didn't say, I came to die for your sins, which is, you know, the message ad infinitum in every church. And I'm not trying to minimize that, but I'm trying to say, people, open up your eyes to what the Holy Spirit is saying. He doesn't say, I came to die for your sins. He doesn't say, I came to get you to heaven. And for all the grace movement out there, he doesn't say, I came to free you from the law and put you under grace and give you a new identity. He says, I came to help people that are hurting, to comfort them, to bind up their wounds, to give them hope. Uh, You know, John, as I started pondering it, you know, compassion was a big word I found. It's the motivating factor behind almost every miracle Jesus did. And compassion is huge. I would call it, you know, love is the noun. Compassion is the verb. Love says, I've got a, a heart for you. 
But compassion says, I'm going to do something about that heart that I have for you. And John, if we could just get the church to follow these marching orders, hey, go help hurting people. Go bind up their wounds. Go love on them. Go sit with them in their pain. We turn the world upside down because the world is so void of love. But instead, we focus on assuming that people because they're upright when they walk into our assemblies, they're upright on the inside too. And that's a really bad assumption. You know, scripture is really clear. Our Lord is so tender and compassionate that he doesn't throw away a wick that's nearly burned out. He doesn't take a reed and throw it away because it's broken. He binds it up. And when I think of binding up a reed, I think of taking a broken plant stem and you wrap it and you prop it and you support it and you give it everything it needs until sooner than you can expect, it doesn't need that support anymore. And in even less time, it grows up into be a mighty tree of righteousness. But unless you start with the tender compassion of wanting to bind up what's wounded, uh, you'll never see all that, that plant, that person could become. And so most folks, uh, most folks don't, don't get that. They don't see that. And so they have no choice when they go to church. When people say, wow, you look great on the outside, it leads them to minimize their wounding. You know, it, it leads them to decide, well, you know, if I look good on the outside, my grief, my pain can't be so great. You know, I can suck it up. I can do this. But, you know, you caution against that, Frank, because God sees the pain. And he doesn't minimize your wounding and he steps into your nightmare and he bolsters and cultivates and loves and pours on you with everything you need so that you can stand again. You know, most people, you've seen this far more than I have in the counseling room. Most people tend to do exactly that. They minimize the wounding. Uh, they bury their grief. They say, well, it's so great. I'm sorry. God can't touch this. I'm doomed. And you caution against that. So what's the danger? Of, of ignoring Jesus' words from Luke 4 and just plowing ahead yourself and not responding to what God wants to do in your life? Well, John, I think it's, it's twofold. It's a universal law of life that we cannot give what we do not have. And so he saved that person as an individual so that he could make them whole again. Uh, that's Romans chapter five. And I don't think necessarily making whole is healing all the wounds. I think the real idea of being made whole is that God comes to live back inside you again. That's being whole. Now you're a whole person. Now you have the tool, if you will, in the toolbox. In fact, the toolbox itself to be able to begin to journey back into life again. So he wants to help the individual, but then he wants the individual to become a vessel of his same life to others. And so they can't become that vessel to others until they, until they first heal themselves. And so what's happened is by failing to be honest about our struggle by, and it's, it's because, you know, the church doesn't understand grace. And so the whole thing is built on a performance. You know, did you read your Bible today? Or are you tithing? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And we're not allowing 
an atmosphere or an, an arena for people to admit that they're living in a sin-cursed world where things don't go well all the time. And because that's happening, a lot of people have to cry in quiet uh, because if they cried publicly, uh, nobody's gonna understand them, which will make them feel worse, or they might even get rebuked for it. You know, John, in the book, I tell a, a story. This lady called me up and Avery had been on the doorstep of death, several cardiac arrests, a doctor had overdosed her, um, and we were frazzled. And so this lady called me up and she said, uh, how are you doing? You know, John, I made the mistake of thinking she was sincere when she asked the question. So I told her, <laughs> yeah. I, I said, well, we're tired, we're frustrated, we're, we're disappointed, we, we're confused about God, we're fearful, we have some anxiety. And she cut me off and said, well, that's not of God. And I, <laughs> I took a breath and I said, no, ma'am, it's, it's not, but it's human. And last time I checked, that's what I am. And I thought you asked because you wanted to know. Um, and see the bottom line, John, I don't think people really want to know. Uh, because it is messy. And you quoted that passage out of Isaiah with the broken reed. Can we address the context of that? Sure, go right ahead. When they had that, they were making a, a flute out of a little reed. So they'd go by the bank. John, there's thousands of reeds. So they take a reed, they start carving it, and it breaks. There's so many thousands of reeds. Just throw that one away and grab another one. The huge John, God says, I'll never do that with you. And, and this is, this is an, a tremendous insight. I think God is saying people will do that with you. They, don't, they won't have time for you. And some will. I don't want to be a negative Nelly. Uh, but many, many people won't. But the glory is God says, I will never do that to you. I don't care how badly bruised you are. I don't care how broken you are. I don't care if you did it to yourself. I will never throw you away. John, do you know how many people have been in my office who've committed a sin? And because they were taught in the church about God's holy wrath, um, they've said things like this. I knew God would never love me again. Not after what I did. So I went looking for love wherever I could find it. Yes. And then they went deeper into sin. And my heart just aches because if the church had only done its job and taught the true nature of God, that he wouldn't throw them away. They could have run back to him, said, boy, I made a stupid choice. It has nasty consequences, but I know you'll accept me. I'm coming home. And then he would accept them and they could have spared themselves a whole bunch of stupid choices with a lot of nasty consequences. Yes. But again, I blame the church. The church has not portrayed faithfully who God really is. You know, Frank, listen to you talk, my heart goes back and my mind goes back to, uh, to how Jesus exactly spent his time during his uh, few years uh, ministering on earth. 
And we have written some of his teachings by, by no means all. But when you read through those gospels, you get the distinct picture that he was almost full time ministering, healing, touching, binding, proclaiming liberty, opening eyes. And mm -hmm. then when he sent his disciples out two by two, don't take any extra clothes, don't take any money, just go out there. And for months, they did the same thing. This is what Jesus pictured when he said, bringing life to those mm -hmm. who need it. And my friend, how do you think the church would function if this was the picture we had as the Great Commission? Instead of just knocking on doors with a smiling face and a coat and tie on Wednesday night for visitation. You know, John, you, you've heard me. This is one of my mantras. Um, we were designed to live in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we were designed to have every human being in that garden full of expressing love and kindness, harmony. Uh, this is no longer the Garden of Eden. It's a jungle and people no longer live in harmony. There's really selfish people, critical people, mean people out there. And so every day of our lives, we're encountering things that we were never designed for. And those things hurt and we were not designed for hurt. And I just don't think we meditate on that enough. Um, you know, I spent almost four years in seminary and you go up into those high level courses, 700, 800 level courses, Greek, Hebrew. My takeaway, my one takeaway, John, was my sermon prep prof. He pulled me aside one day and he said, uh, Frank, when you take that pulpit and you look at on that sea of people, you're going to see the doctor, you're going to see the CEO the attorney, you're going to see the uh, plant manager, you're going to see the politician, the housewife, the janitor, the student. He said, there's a lot of things being presented to you on a Sunday morning. Don't look at any of them. Strip off those facades and look into the human heart who is living in a world they were never designed to live in and preach to those hearts. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a different focus. Oh my goodness. My friend, we're getting short on time, but I've got one more quote that I wanna to read to you and I want you to comment on this. You wrote this about your own circumstances. You said, what surprised me, overwhelmed me and transformed me was that I was able to find freedom in the pain. I was able to hurt horribly with the pain that can cause tears to stream down my cheeks. And yet at the same time, I was able to experience the joy, peace, love, and hope that only God provides. Uh, my friend, this is radical. This is absolutely radical. What do you mean? This is something that, I, that many of our listeners probably have never heard before. They probably heard just suck it up, get tough, grow a spine and deal with it. What do you mean here? This is so different. What do you mean? Uh, John, this is huge. And it's, it's biblical. Um, 
We all love in the church the idea of being conformed to the image of Jesus, Romans chapter 8. I love the idea of being conformed to righteousness, to peace, to joy, to love. But we have to read and teach the whole counsel of God. Uh, he is known as a man of sorrows, deeply aware of grief. So if we are really going to be conformed to his image, then we too will be men and women who know sorrow and who are very deeply acquainted with grief. Now, John, the problem is I don't find many people that want to go down that road for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to hurt. Uh, so most people, what they do, and we talk about this in the book, is they deny their hurt, stuff it down real deep so they don't have to deal with it, or they anesthetize their hurt. And when I say that, people think of drugs and alcohol, but there's so many other ways to anesthetize. How about being open at the church doors every time they're there? Uh, workaholism, uh, LSU footballism, um, you know, ministry, uh, pouring into your kids, recreationalism. Those are all good things, but they can be tools of, to anesthetize your pain by sidetracking you, keeping you from thinking of it. What we're calling forth for in the book is to embrace your pain. I believe with all my heart that there are no accidents in this world. God may not have caused it, but he certainly allowed it. And since he allowed it, it has to come with purpose. So I need to embrace it. And in the embracing of it, I find him. Now, he's healed me of a lot of the hurt. Some he has not. And that bothers people. But just for me to say that. But here's the thing. And here's what I want people to think about. Did Job ever, ever, get over losing those 10 children. I certainly hope not. I, I don't buy it. Yeah, I, 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 no, he carried that pain to the grave. You can't get over one baby dying, let alone 10. I'm convinced that a lot of our hurt will carry to the grave. Now, this goes against the grain of a lot of those grace teachers out there who are teaching that we've got Jesus and now we've got this ethereal float uh, in our journey through this world. I don't believe that. Not if we're going to be conformed to his image as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But here's the key. As I cry those tears, when I'm triggered to remember the pain that does not go away, I also at that moment can look to Jesus in faith and experience fullness of joy and fullness of of peace so that there is triumph in my tears. And here's the key, John, and I, I need this extra minute. When the world looks at the plastic facade that the church is wearing, this plastic face of everything's great, everything's wonderful, the hurting world can't relate to the church. You want to come and join us? Uh, no, I don't think so. You people aren't real. But what if the world saw us with tears the same way they do, but then they saw the hope, the joy, the peace that we also have? We're the only ones in the world, Christians who walk by faith, who can do that.
then I think they would look at us and say, wait a minute, you hurt like I hurt, but you've got something I don't have. And in the book, John, what I say is this, for those few, and I think it will be few, who will receive their hurt instead of fight against it, sit down in it, invite God into your pain, find him in a way you never knew him, so that you still cry, you still hurt, but there's joy and peace flooding in those tears. That man, that woman is going to become a very, dangerous person in the kingdom of God, because they are more like Jesus in that walk than the church people who can quote all the verses and put the facade of perpetual victory on their face. Amen. I've got other thoughts, but I'm going to share them or save them to share next time, especially about the fact that you mentioned being conformed to the image of Christ multiple times in that last run. We'll pick that thought up next time. But our friends, thanks again for joining this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Uh, if you've been listening, we've been chatting about Pastor Frank's newest book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. It's coming soon. Watch for it on Amazon. Uh, you'll hear about it on our, on our website as well. Uh, by the way, visit our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Take a few moments, browse around. Check out the growing list of resources that we have available. And please pop us an email, sign up for our newsletter. Let us hear from you. And be sure to take a look and visit uh, the newest part of our website that's coming soon. It'll be a members portal. Uh, it's free. And there you'll find material from Pastor Frank that's not available anyplace else. And I'll give you a little hint. There's some messages that go way, way back to the early 90s. Uh, we think you'll be blessed. Don't forget to follow us also on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and every place that cares a podcast. And as we wrap up, we remind you, as always, uh, with this thought from Hebrews 6, the writer says, we have this hope, a living hope. Peter says, uh, a resolute hope as an anchor for our souls. So today and always, stick with that hope. Choose hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.